Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Hey, have you ever wondered why the week only has seven days? Nobody, they haven't. Good. I, why, why would you, right? Like, it's always just been like that, right? Like, here's the deal. Did you know that there is nothing really, like, the only reason that we know today is Sunday is because we trust that all throughout history, people have been, like, keeping track, right? Like, there was a day uh, in the Gregorian calendar, I remember exactly what year it was, whatever, but we found out, oh my gosh, the year's like 11 days behind. So, like, in October some year, whatever, uh, Gregory, Pope Gregory fixed it. Just like there's 11 days missing. But the deal with, with seven days in a week, during the 1780s in the French Revolution, they tried a 10-day work week. They tried it for a little while and it went for a couple years and it just, just didn't work, right? They, they went through it and they tried it and they bring it back and it always kind of devolves to a seven-day week. Well, my contention is that's part of the creation story. I think there's something about the rhythm that just naturally works for humanity, for people. And we've been looking uh, for a couple weeks at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We actually started in John chapter 3 with this idea that Jesus announces his kingdom with this invitation to rebirth. He told Nicodemus, the guy who was at the top, he said, listen, if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to see what God is really doing and what is really up to in this world, you need to be reborn. And the idea behind rebirth for Nicodemus was you need to learn how to see the world apart from, separate from, and distinct from the values and the rhythms and the structures of the world that you've been in, right? For Nicodemus, he existed in a system that valued, you know, kind of religious purity, right? Like you keep the law exactly and fundamentally and, and all the way through where your kind of value and worth was financial or position. And so Jesus just said, hey, what I'm doing, what this kingdom is about is really different from that. And then we looked started looking at Genesis 1, and today we're going to look at Genesis 2, and we're going to see kind of God's design and intention for creation for mankind from the very beginning. And you're going to be like, last week, I know it went a little bit long, so you're going to be happy to know today that this week I only have enough content for like 11 messages, so we'll be good. It's going to be fun, right? So we saw in Genesis chapter 1 kind of the broad strokes of the creation story. And one of the things that we said that was really important for kind of grasping and understanding kind of Genesis chapter 1 is this idea that God created everything. I believe every atom in creation was designed intentionally and deliberately and specifically was designed by God. I believe in intelligent design and all that. And I believe that Genesis 1 is not the account of material creation. I believe that everything existed. And then I think the account of Genesis 1 is the story of God giving purpose and meaning to everything that he created. And we're going to see kind of more evidence for that today. But so far, we've created this, the physical structures, right? We created Genesis 1, right? Where he said, let there be light. And we saw him separating. And he separated the light and the dark. And then he separated the waters. And then he separated the water from the land. And then he separated sky. And he separated all of these things. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2, right? And so we have six days. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, God has created mankind. And then there's a chapter break. Now listen, the chapters and the verses weren't in the original. It's not like when Moses was writing this down, he went chapter two, right? This was primarily an oral tradition. The chapters and the verses are there to help us know and understand. So this was kind of a continuing narrative, but something happens in chapter two. We saw that Genesis chapter one, kind of um, its genre, we called it elevated prose, right? It's not pure poetry, but it's also not pure narrative. It's not a narrative script. It doesn't have instructions. It doesn't have designs. It doesn't have metrics and measurements, eight foot like he was building the ark. It's just kind of, it's this kind of poetic narrative, elevated prose. But then we get to Genesis chapter two and it changes. The language changes. Here's what Genesis chapter two says. Thus, after all of this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, right? So now everything was done. He's saying that. And then again, you notice there's repetition in here. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So now just by the fact that God has stopped and ceased, 
Day seven is different. Day seven has something about it. On day one, God saw and God spoke and God separated and there was and it was good. On day two, saw, spoke, separated. Day two, day three, same like that. And on day seven, there's nothing left left to say, to speak. And so what does he do? He sits and he rests. And on verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Now, this is a good opportunity to address some language, okay? So when if I say to you that God wants you to be holy, your idea first would probably be something along the lines, you would translate in your head, something like, God wants me to be good, right? Seem fair? God wants me to be morally good. Well, you'll notice what here, let's try to insert that in here, right? And so God finished everything that he had created. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it good. Is that what that means? Does that, does that kind of make sense? What if we take the word holy and we mean different? And we use it as set apart, okay? So, and God, so God blessed the seventh day and he set it apart because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The idea behind the holiness of the Sabbath is that it is a day set apart. It is one day out of seven that is created and inhabited for a different, distinct, separate, unique purpose. That's what holiness means. It means different. So now let's pause and let's back up and let's remember where we've come from. We remember Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3 is an ancient Near Eastern creation text. We saw all kinds of similarities between the account in Genesis and the account in, uh, you know, the Enuma Iliad, all, like all of these creation ethics around. And what we said is that doesn't diminish, that doesn't mean that we have to read the creation account in Genesis as less true. In fact, for me, it lends veracity to it because I can come around and just say, man, all of these people all the way around, they're talking about the same thing. Now, they ascribe different reasons to it, different meanings to it, right? But when we step back and we can look at it, my take is this picture and this perspective of God creating, it makes the most sense. It's the most logical. It's the most thoughtful, okay? So let's unpack this now, Genesis 2, verse 1 through 3, we have God creating this ancient Near Eastern creation text where God is telling his people in the wilderness who he is. He is the God who is over the, the chaos. He is the God who speaks order into all that, okay? So now we know that the one who speaks, the one who creates, the one who brings order is what? Deity. He is God, right? So as you look at all of these creation texts throughout the ancient Near East, right, from Babylon, from Assyria, for all this, what you have is consistently a deity who goes about the work of creation for precisely seven days. And on the seventh day, wherever you look at, on the seventh day, these deities, they quit. Do you know why they quit after seven days? Because on day seven, they have created mankind, so they no longer have to work because they now have slaves to do the work for them, okay? So an ancient Near Eastern, Eastern text, God creates for seven days and then he stops. And what is a place where a deity stops to rest so that you can see the deity, so that you can look at the deity, so that you can worship it? What do you call a place where a deity is worshiped? A temple, right? So an ancient Near Eastern temple is a place where a deity and where a God reigns, okay? So here's what we have. Genesis chapter 1 portrays all of creation as God's holy temple. This implies to me even more that the Genesis 1 account is not the account of God creating material stuff, but it is God organizing creative material stuff so that it is a place where he can sit and dwell and reign and inhabit this earth among his people. We know that this is what our God is like because when we get into Exodus and he leads the people out of slavery, what does he do? He says, build a tent. And in the tent, there's going to be a place, right? This is what the temple looked like, okay? This is a model of the temple. 
Here's my little pointer that I get to use again. This is fun for me. Okay, right? So here's, here's break it down, right? Out here, all this extra space out here, right? When you read it, this is the company of Israel. The people of Israel would have camped outside the tent, right? And then there would have been this border and you could have some Gentiles outside there. And then you can have the court of women, right? What I want to show and I want to point to is specifically this place. Do we see this? This is called the holy place, the most holy place. This area right here is called the Holy of Holies, and this little box is the Ark of the Covenant, okay? So what I want to draw attention to particularly is this holy place within the temple, okay? So everybody can come out here. The priests have to enter into the table, and you have like, you have a table with bread on it, and you have lampstands. This, you can't read the writing, this is called the altar, and the purpose of the altar was to offer sacrifices. Now, do you know what sacrifices fall under the heading of, right? Worship. The sacrifices were the way that God's people were made right with God through the sacrifice so that there could be holiness. And again, now we come down to righteousness, right? Does righteous mean good? There's certainly an element of righteousness that means good. Show me a person who lies and steals and cheats and all that, and I'm just going to say that's not righteousness. But the idea behind righteousness has to do with covenant. It has to do with God saying, I made a promise to you, and I'm going to keep that promise. And the covenant is us then saying, and we'll make a promise to you, God, and we will keep that covenant. And God says, no, you won't because you're terrible and you're sinful. And when you do that, there's going to be a way for you to know that the covenant is in operations. The way that you can know the covenant is in operation is you will go to the temple and you'll give your sacrifice to a priest and the priest will offer the sacrifice for forgiveness so that we can worship together. Are we tracking? Do you see the purpose of a temple? A temple is where God and mankind come together, where mankind can worship God in the flesh in person from where he is. So in the ancient Near East, a temple was where people served their God. Are we tracking? Are you getting anticipation? Because this is good, right? Because you're always like, what is all this? Why do I do that? Right? What's me? Look, we're going to get there. Here we go. Genesis uh, chapter four. Okay, so now look, if you look in your Bible right here, these verse four is kind of set off, right? Like you can see it's got like indentations, it's lining all that. That indicates Rhythm, meter, that indicates a poetic interlude in here, right? Often represents uh, kind of in other places throughout the scripture, it indicates uh, quoting another scripture. But let's see what it says. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So let's step back and unpack that right there. Okay, so if you look in verse four, it says created. The word created there is the Hebrew word bara. Okay, uh, you don't have to know what that means right now, except that it means created, but it becomes very important because we're going to contrast that with another word later. So just remember, bara. Okay, so these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God. So some people come and say, see, it says right there, created literal six, 24 hour literal created days. Here's what I would say to you. I 100% agree. I believe that what we're talking about in Genesis 1 is six literal 24-hour days of ordering and calling and filling and purposing, right? And so here we have, so what does it say when it says, oh, in the generation and in the day? Here's an example. In the generation, back in the day, have you ever heard that? Back in the day, I used to follow a band around the country fish, right? They were this hippie band. I had long hair and hemp rope necklace and whatever. And said, dude, a lot and did all the stuff right that, right? Now, listen. So when I say, yeah, back in the day, I'm not talking about like, like, like a Thursday, right? I'm talking about a season in the past. I'm talking about a time previous. So when it says poetically set off in the generations and back in the day when the Lord God made the earth. So here's what we've got right now, right? We have Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's like this, right? Then we have Genesis 1-2 through 1-25. And it looks like this, right? God created the heavens and the earth. God created in six days, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, right? So now what we're going to do is we're going to take that microscope and we're going to zoom in even more. And we're going to look at this creative process from an even more zoomed in label, right? And so what does it say in verse five? When no bush of the field was yet in the land. Do you remember on what day God created bushes in the field? Day three. 
So we're not here right there going like, aha, it's wrong. He said day three. No, we're just zooming back up. He's like, yeah, okay. So we're picking up the story. Day two, day three, it says, yeah, there was nothing yet. So God's starting to work now. No bush was in the field, right? No small plant in the field for the Lord God hadn't caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. So there's like this mist and it's kind of like hovering over the waters, right? And then it says, um... I lost my place already. No, uh, verse six, and a mist was going up for the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse seven, then. Now this doesn't necessarily mean immediately chronologically. It just means there was nothing and God watered. And then at some point later down in the road, which we know as day six in the creation, then the Lord God formed. That is the word. And I want to make sure that I get it close to correct. That is the word yatsare, formed. Created, bara, yatsare, created, form. We just go, oh, well, it's the same thing. God made it. No, different words, right? The idea of yatsare is like if you take a piece of clay and you form it and you squeeze it and you make it and you take your time and you look at it and you screw it up and then you fix it again and you take it toe, right? To say created is like plant, 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 bara, plant, bara, bara, yatsare. He sits down and he forms and he creates and he makes and he shapes and he, and then what does he say? And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. See, breath, the Hebrew word is ruach, right? And it can mean wind, it can mean breath. In this case, soul, right? And so you don't know the difference. There's a question we get all the time, right? Like there's an animal in the room right now, like, will animals be in heaven? Listen, here's my take on this. You're not going to like this, some of you. My mom's going to reject me, right? I'm going to be out of the family here in just a second. The question is, well, do you know all dogs go to heaven? Here's my take. Like it doesn't say this in the Bible. Don't lose your salvation over this. I think I'm right. I could be wrong. Mankind, man and animal are different, right? A different form of creation. God breathes a soul into human. Now listen, God created everything. Did God create dogs? You bet. Dogs are wonderful. And if you don't, I question your salvation, but no, that's for real. I really question your salvation. But here's the deal. The soul is what lives on. Will there be dogs in heaven? Of course there will be dogs in heaven. Will your dog be in heaven? Probably not. Yeah, listen, my, my mom right now already. Listen, I'm out. I'm out of the will. She doesn't believe it. It's the soul that sets mankind apart. Do you know why it sets mankind apart? Do you know what mankind has that beasts don't, that dogs and cats and deer and wombats and wildebeest, do you know what those don't have? A soul. It's the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. What does that say right this, right? God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God gave mankind a soul for the purpose for which he created. He created animals and plants and birds and all that to fill the earth, to be beautiful, to... to, to be wonderful, to make life have beauty and meaning and purpose on this. But he created us distinctly. He created us uniquely. He created us in his image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created us unique. God gave us a soul. That's the thing in this whole world that we have that others don't. So now, if I look at this, if I just walked into this room and I see Gary's guitar right here, I'm gonna make an assumption about what happens here, right? Because I see the tools, I have a sense of what kind of work goes on, right? If I go to a, if I'm driving by a field and I see big excavators, right, and front end loaders, I can know because of the tools what kind of work is happening in this place. So the question is, what kind of work happens when a soul is present? When God sovereignly chooses one being and all of creation to give it a soul, to give it the very breath of God. We sing that song, it's your breath in our lungs, so I'll pour out my praise. This is what he's talking about, literally made alive by the breath of God. So what's the tool? What's the resource? What would God want us to do with this special gift of a soul? Well, we go to verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east. Now remember, no plants, wilderness, 
wild, you know, mist. And then later, God planted a garden in the east. So we have all of creation. We have this one spot called Eden. And God plants a garden in Eden, right? And there he put the man who he had formed. Listen, did you know mankind wasn't created in the garden? We were created in the wilderness. We were created outside and God placed us there. He put us there. The thing about that is, here's what that means, that we weren't standing there. We had no part in making the garden bloom. We just walked in and our breath was taken away because it was beautiful and it was already there. And we had the full trees and the running water and the fruits. And it goes on to describe what this is like. And out of the ground, the Lord God had made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of garden, the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. So notice what he says, right? It says there's a garden in the middle and the garden flows out. And when it flows out, it becomes four rivers, right? And it breaks. you've been to the Komal River, right? Where the headwaters roll out and it comes and it fills at Landa Park and it fills that little pool and then it goes and you can tube in it, right? So there's the river that's flowing out, verse 11. And the name of the first is the Pishon and the, uh, it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. So there was, you know, this river, there was wealth, there was finance, there was gold there. Uh, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates, right? And so when we read in verse 8, and, right, that means also. So we have also, so God is creating, and he creates the plants, and he creates all the stuff. And also in the midst of this, God plants a temple in the east where he and mankind can dwell forever, right? And notice the garden. Notice what the garden was like. Notice it's aesthetic, right? It was beautiful. It was pleasing. It was good for food. It was good to eat. There was good stuff there, right? We notice God is there in the presence with them. Notice that it was practical. It was good. The food was good to eat. It was good to see. It was all of those things, right? Did you notice it says the river was there? And then they float out. There's no boundary. It doesn't, like when it talks about the boundaries of the promised land later in Exodus and Leviticus and Joshua, right? It says, and you can go this far north to the sea and to this. And there were boundaries of land. There's no boundaries in the Garden of Eden. He placed mankind in a blooming, growing, thriving, beautiful, practice, full, limitless, boundless place. He set us in a temple with him to no end, right? And so here we have the temple, the whole world outside where there's no plants and there's no animals and it's just a wild place. And then we come in and he starts and here's the garden. And what does God tell mankind to do? Be fruitful and multiply and go and fill, right? Because here's the holy place and the priests come in and they offer sacrifices on the altar to restore and repair the relationship and it's called worship. God created a space for mankind to worship God as God. Listen, verse 15 in chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Put him to work it and keep it. That's the purpose. And some of you are like, well, that's terrible. I don't like to mow the yard. I don't like to plant flowers. I don't want to do a garden. We're gonna, that's next week. We're going to unpack all of that, why tending your garden is terrible and hard and we don't want to do it. But for right now, the question that we ask that we have to come to is, up to this point, there is one precisely, one, well, we haven't even got to there yet. So far, everything in creation is good, right? It is reflective of God's goodness. Okay, so what do we have? He goes on. Um. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, which is good because remember they're beautiful and they're good. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now listen, how many trees do you think were in the garden of Eden? At least two, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Do you think there are more trees than those two? How many more? Ballpark. A gazillion, Right? Why Adam and Eve camping around the freaking tree? That's all I want to know. We'll talk about that next week. You may not eat it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day, you shall surely die. Right? So he put mankind there to work it and to keep it and to serve with later. So listen, here's what we're 
talking because I know, right, we're talking metaphor. We got a temple, but it's not a temple. There's trees and there's stuff like this. And I'm talking about worship. And what are we talking about? Listen, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And remember what holy means, right? Good, right? Because you're like, oh, I can't serve God. I'm not good. No, set apart. Your life is created and intended to bring worship and service to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship is the service and the sacrifice. It is keeping the garden order intact. So worship now is the desires, is identifying, seeing the desires, needs, and preferences of the other one first, okay? So now who's the primary person in the Garden of Eden? God, his temple, not our temple. Right? We are priests in the temple. What's our role and our mission and our service there? To serve God in that space, right? So listen, what does it look like to serve God? Verse 9b, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you go down to verse 16, and God said, don't eat that. So how do we serve God? We serve God by going, right, it's your garden. I can have everything I want except that one tree. Simple enough, right? We'll talk about that next week. You should come back. It's going to be fun. Why would God say, leave me the tree of, good, of knowledge of good and evil? First of all, it doesn't say the knowledge of good and evil. It's not the knowledge of good and evil. It's just fruit. Maybe it's a persimmon. I don't know. Why would God say, leave me that one? Because it was better? Because it was the best tree in the garden? Because God didn't want to give it to mankind? Or because God wanted us to know, at the end of the day, all of this is yours to enjoy, but it's mine. You are mine. This is mine. What makes all of this work is the understanding and the awareness, Adam and Eve at this point, Adam, that you are created, that you are not God. What God says when he just says, hey, don't eat from that tree. You know what God says? Adam, he's Adam, eyeballs right here, right? I say all the time, I tell you, listen, right? I'm bossy, I think this is God. Adam, eyeballs, don't eat that. And here's what he's saying. Hey, I want you, Adam, to trust me to tell you what is good and evil. Adam, I want you to trust me. And here's the thing. All Adam and Eve, all Adam had to do is look around and go, man, that's a lot of good, bro. That's a lot of good. Lot of good, man. Woo! That one tree's not bad. Great. I just won't look that way and I'll go this way because I can have everything in that quadrant. Just don't eat that. Adam, just trust me to lead you and to tell you what is good, to leave and to tell you what is right. And so God created us and he placed us in the garden. He created a garden for us and he placed us there and he told us to fill it with goodness. He told us to take all of those good trees, right? The trees that are good for food and they're pleasant to look at and they're useful and you can build houses and boats and buildings out of. He says, I want you to take all those things. I just want you to make them fill the earth. Listen, the garden didn't fill the whole earth. The garden was one spot. It was like this stage and God said, Adam, just expand it and pick the fruit and plant it and let trees grow and plant crops and harvest and just go, Adam, go do all that because he created you. Listen, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul tells the Gentiles coming back, he says, listen, for you're his workmanship, you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand. When was beforehand? Like on day six. Not day six of the month, like on day six. He created good works for us to do to manage, to multiply, to tend to, to care for his creation, to work it and to keep it for his goodness, not for ours. So now we're talking about, let's get this, let's bring this all home and let's make some applications, right? The earth is a temple where people can experience God's goodness in creation and express it through living worship. River City's mission statement, we're a church for New Braunfels experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community because I believe, because we believe as a church, this is the very substance of what we were created for. We were created to experience God in a blooming place. 
We were created to know God in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his righteousness, and in his holiness. We were created to know his plan and his purpose in our lives and for our lives. We are created in the image of God. We are created to look like him in this world. And that's what our work, that's what our our vocation is supposed to reveal, right? So I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to pull real quick three, like, Remember last week, what does it say? What do we say? What does it mean? What do we do, right? We're going to pick out three kind of, what does this mean? Well, let's look. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. That's the very first time in the scripture that something is not good. Every single thing that God has created up to this point has been either good or or very good. But what's happening, we're going to find in just a second, as God gave him the work, God brings the animals to him and the animals are walking by. And so he's seeing two elephants, they look the same. Two leopards, they look the same. Two platypus, they look the same. Two African violets, they look the same. What's going on here, right? So he sees the man and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. The Hebrew word for helper is ezer konegdo. We're going to talk about that Later this year, we're going to do a family series. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. And we're going to unpack the whole, is there connecto, help me to this. Suffice it to say, if you'll give me one second to just unpack this, it does not mean worker. It does not mean slave. It does not mean servant. It does not mean woman, you do what I want. That is not what it means. That is not how it goes. If you've been told that, I'm sorry, they told you wrong. It is a helper, it's taken out of his side, not out of his foot, not out over his head. It is a partner, it is the completion. And finally, when he says it, he goes, ah, this is, I should just read it. It says it right here. I'm stopping, right? I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the God, uh, I keep going, right? Out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So now we see it, right? He was naming. He's like, man, what? what? Why doesn't that work, right? Like the male lion goes and hunts and the female lion stays home. Why don't, I don't have that. What's going on, right? Verse 21. So the Lord God caused... Adam to take a nap, the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. You may have heard that women have one more ribs in their body because of whatever. That's dumb. It's not true. Don't have to believe that. Don't listen. It's okay. We have, we, we trust doctors. When doctors tell us they don't have extra, we can just believe them. That's, that's good, right? Okay. You don't have to get crazy and silly. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Some people uh, later on after this was, came back and said, oh yeah, it's woman because the woman was woe to the man because she's so, this is before, don't listen, listen. If you hear something and you just go, that sounds just goofy, screwy, lean into that. Go search for it. Find it. Maybe it is goofy and screwy. We don't know, right? That's not what it says. It's just, she's just called woman. For out of man she was taken, right? Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God created the purpose. And so as we see mankind, I'm going to tell you real quick, three things that we can see about the design for man that I hope have influence and impact for you. Because here's the deal. We still live in this world and the goodness that God created for it. I believe that it's still latent in this world. That's what God is redeeming. That's what God is calling forth. That is what our role and responsibility in this world is. When he says you have to be born again and he created good works for us to do, it's not some new unknown thing. When we read Revelation 21 and 22, it's putting back things the way that they were. At the end, it's a city. And you know what a city, you know what in the UK, do you know what they call Yards, we call them backyards, they call them gardens. The, the world begins in a garden, it ends in gardens, and it's our priestly role to tend to the garden and manage them for fruitfulness. It's our job to tend to the garden, to work it, and to keep it, to reflect his goodness and his glory. But in order for that to happen, we have to be right, and we have to understand how he made us to reflect that. Are you ready? 
Do you hear that? Do you want to know how you were created and why you're created and what it means and what God has done to do that? First thing, mankind was designed for company. It's not good for mankind to be alone. If you've ever left a husband alone in a house for a weekend, you know. It's not good for mankind to be alone. We find at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're told that God said, and in John chapter 1, we're told that the word was with God and the word was God. So we have the speaking voice of God as Jesus. And we're told that the spirit hovered over the waters. So in the very beginning of creation, God already existed in three parts, a father and a son and a spirit. We call that trinity. That's a doctrine of the Trinity. And it will melt your brains because you're like, there are three. We're not polytheists, right? Like we don't believe in three gods. It's one God. It's a father. It's a son. And it's a spirit. And it's, it's hard, right? I'm not, there's no, analogies break down, right? It's not like a shamrock. It's not like ice. It's not, it's not those things, right? But we exist in God. And here's the idea. Since before the beginning of time, God has existed in relationship to himself. The father perfectly relating to the son, the son perfectly relating to the spirit. Now, I want you to imagine spending eternity with your father-in-law or your mother-in-law. It's hard, right? It's hard. I don't like being like 15 minutes and with people, I'm just like, I'm an introvert. I need a nap, right? Like that. For all of eternity, God has related perfectly to himself. That tells you what God's character is like. Can you, can, can you imagine spending an eternity with someone and they never like get on your nerves? Jesus is, like, is never like needy. The Holy Spirit is never like kind of codependent. Well, I'll just do whatever you want to do. No. Perfectly loving, kind, and generous towards God for all of mankind. So when God says it's not good for man to be alone, what he's saying is that loneliness is incompatible with the image of God in us. Listen, if you just come and say, listen, I like the church. I'll read the Bible. I'll do all the Bible studies. I'll read of that. But I'm not going to have a connection. I'm not going to have people in my life that I gather with, that I connect with, that I give insight on myself. I'm not going to do that. You don't have to do it. But what I'm telling you is you're missing a gift from God. God created us for company. And when he saw that we didn't have the appropriate company, right? First of all, God. God knew, you know who Adam, you know who didn't know? Adam. Do you know why Adam didn't know? Because how are men? I'm fine, God. I'll do this myself, right? He probably sensed Eve going, what do you think we should call this one? And he's like, don't worry, honey, I got this, right? So he's all by himself and God says, no, that's not good. And so God gave Adam a partner. And what I would say for you is God has given you a partner. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not a spouse Right? Maybe it's not a husband, maybe it's not a wife, but it's somebody. God did not intend for you to walk through this life, this life, this spiritual journey alone. And I don't mean someone that you wave to over the fence. I mean somebody who was walking through this life. Someone who, like Adam said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Someone who is like me. Someone who will help carry this load and bear my burdens. And listen, do you know why we don't want to do that? Because it's embarrassing. Because if we get close to people, they're going to know things about us that I don't want them to know. That's next week. That's very, very important because we're going to talk about how do we unpack that next week? What does that mean? But for right now, I just want you to know the very first time that God and all of creation saw something that he said, whoa, we need to address that was the man standing by himself. And I believe he does it today. Listen, every time, if you step back and you look at other churches, right? And, and you, it's like, it's like the decade of pastoral moral failure, right? And it, and it breaks my heart. Here's what I promise you. Every single time you see a pastor who's had a moral failure, who has gotten into sexual sin or has gotten into drugs or who has gotten into some kind of thing, every single time without exception, I would bet amongst pay that that pastor has rejected accountability. He has, he has rejected authority in his life. There is nobody who has permission to go to that pastor and go, how are you doing really? There's nobody in his life that has the permission to go to that pastor 
and go, hey, we heard this. Can we look? And I want you to tell me the reason that we have elders, the reason that we have staff here, the reason that I will get up sometimes and just go, I have OCD and today's terrible and I don't know whether I'm coming or going. The reason I do that is so that you know I'm not different. I'm not above the law. I'm not above the rules. There aren't a separate set of rules and authority for me and for you. I I am a Christian. I am a human. I am a person. And I have my section of the garden to tend. And so we're submitted. It's not good for mankind to be alone. Listen, when we talk about small groups, when we talk about Bible studies, when we talk about relationships, it's not because I just need you to do my stuff. It's because I believe that God created us for an experience of life and his love in this world that we cannot find apart from meaningful relationships. That's what I want for you. Reborn means we, get, we are born into a world where people know us, where we are known, like Adam said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now, it's different for spouses, right? But I don't believe everybody's called to be married. And that can mean, like, if you're single, right, that may be your thing. God may have called you that, and you're like, well, that's terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Listen, you're not exempt from needing community. If God has called you to walk in single and holy singleness, I want to tell you that we're here for you. But you need relationships, too. You need people to help you, to encourage you, to walk with you, to love you, to support you, to do all of the things that help make us fruitful in this life. So that's the question, who points you to God? Who points you to others? Who celebrates you when the Lord does something in your life? Who celebrates? Because here's the deal. If you have friends who are cynical, if you have friends who are a burden to you, if you have friends who you just go, man, I would never share that with them because they would hurt me or use me or not care. What I would say is those aren't the kind of relationships that God created you for. Now, those relationships have a purpose and a thing, and you can talk to people about those people about God's goodness. You can invite them to your birthday party if you want. You can do all of those things, but I'm telling you, you need relationships with people that are deep and close and intimate so that you aren't alone. So who is that for you? If not, you can text connect RC. And here's the deal. You're like, oh yeah, you're going to get me in a small group. Great, you're going to go to a small group and you're going to show up the first week. You're like, well, I don't know any of these people either. Right, it takes time. Would have been great if we'd have done that a year ago, right? We'd be set. We'd be better off in this place. But start today. Get going. Connect RC to the number 94000. We'll help you. We'll get you plugged in. We'll find a place. We'll do it. The second thing, mankind was created for meaningful work. Once again, Eden was borderless. And what was God's command? He told Adam, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. We were created for meaningful work. And so God commands fruitfulness. So I have, um, for the last month, I have been insistent on taking a Sabbath. Friday is my Sabbath. If at all possible, I don't answer the phone. I certainly don't answer emails. I don't answer, answer text messages. If you try to get a hold of me on Friday, I'll talk to you on Monday. It'll be good, right? Um, and the, the idea is, the, the reason for that um, is because I know if I don't stop, I will die. And I will think that I am God. And I'll think that this whole thing depends and runs on me. And it didn't, Right. I don't know why I said that. God created this garden of Eden and it was borderless. And he said, go fill the earth with it. Go make it happen. And then God stepped back and he said, be fruitful. God commands fruitfulness. Listen, we were created outside the garden, outside the garden. And when we were in the garden, we knew it was a garden. Do you know why? Because it was already blooming. I already told that. Do you know why it was already blooming? Because God made it bloom. Listen, God does not need you at your work. He's not like, oh my gosh, who's going to make those O-rings if Bob's not there? He's fine. Do you know why he sends you to your work? So that you can experience his image in you as you bring order to a chaotic world. You're like, well, I don't do a chaotic world. I'm just a teacher. You don't think a middle school's world is chaotic? No, seriously. You go to your job, you don't think the guy that sits at the desk, right, that lady at work that just complains of constant relational drama, you don't think that that lady's life is chaotic? You serve the living God, the one who with a word says peace and the storm's calm. You have that spirit inside you. You live, you were placed in a garden and told to, to expand it. But it's not Adam and Eve going, oh, how am I going to get out there? I got to go to the, grow it. 
Do you want peace in your life? Make peace. That's your job. That's what you were created for. It's not somebody else's job to make peace. You make peace. Do you know why the world is torn up? Because the church, we step back, we want someone else to do it. Don't do that. You were created for meaningful work. And God gave you a command. Go bring order to the world. Don't step back and yell at disorder. Go get in it. Go walk in it. That's why churches that retreat, that's why churches that throw bombs, that lob stones at the enemy from behind protectors, that's not what it's about. That's not what Jesus came and saved us to do. Jesus left heaven where it was real safe to come here where they murdered him. He's not up there going, Jason, just be careful. Man, people are going to say mean things to you if you go there. I just don't want that for you. He's like, bro, if they try to kill you, you'll make it. You'll be okay. Even if they do kill you, you'll be fine. Eternity. God, I don't want to die. Yeah, well, maybe that's not in it, right? The question is, what in your life qualifies as spiritually meaningful work? And you may be in this place today where you just go, like, I'm a teacher, but I've never really thought of my students as chaotic. I mean, I think of them as chaotic mess all the time, but I never thought of them as, like, my role and responsibility to fix them. So maybe you haven't been operating in that, but identify a place. Where is a place that you could go tomorrow with eyes to bring order to chaos. And here's what I would tell you. If you go to a job and you look and you go, I cannot bring order to this place for whatever reason. Here's what you cannot do. You cannot stay at that place and be a terrible worker. You cannot walk around the Garden of Eden going, God, why is there all this cedar here? God, why are you, yeah, God, you messed this up, right? Listen, get in or get out. But just know wherever you go, there you are. Do you know the tie that binds between you and all of your terrible jobs? Sorry, it's you. God created us for meaningful work. But it means that my job is not about my personality. It's not about my ego. It's not about my effectiveness. It's not about my fruit. It's not about how much money I wake. It's not about my identity. It's not about my provision. It's not about power. It's about purpose. It's about me experiencing the unbelievable power that God put in me. So what in your life is spiritually meaningful work? And finally, mankind was formed for vulnerability. And this really goes with the first one, with company. See, the reason that our relationships are shallow sometimes, the reason they're surfacey is because we don't like to be vulnerable. And we know, do you know why we don't like to be vulnerable? Because we live in a world marked by sin where people will take our weaknesses and they use them against us. They will use us, they will come to us with things that we have told them in confidence and they will ostracize us and they will exclude us and they will make fun of us and they will hurt us and they will kill us. And in our hearts, we will die. And what I want to say is in that moment, are you listening to me? Because in that moment, you have never been closer to the heart of God. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Have you ever wondered whether our God could comfort you in this moment of mourning? Maybe the reason he hasn't comforted us in our mourning is because we breeze past it and we do every shortcut we can to get around it. No, no pain. I don't want to tell anybody. I won't say anything. Nothing bad will ever happen. And so we never know this comfort. And so what happens in our brain is then our own weaknesses become the worst thing in the entire world rather than our weaknesses becoming the very place where we see God going, I can handle that. I can handle that. I can deal with that. I can do that. I can make that weakness bloom. We're running around covered up, wearing trash bags so nobody sees us, hiding in the dark, not going out so nobody sees us. And Jesus says, that's not what it was about. And so what happens is what... Now we got to fast forward to Jesus. Because this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus left a kingdom to come to a world in disarray where he would be misunderstood. And you know what he did? He walked with his friends anyway. Do you know what he did? He gave Judas the money bag. See, the thing that shocks me about Jesus is that he really wasn't afraid of being hurt by people. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't codependent. He didn't give people a, a insight and a right into to his life. Or whatever. So there's a passage where he says they were, people were just trying to set him up, and he said he didn't trust himself to them because he knew what was in his heart. You have to be wise, and you have to be discerning, but I'm just telling you, you will never come to and achieve the life that God has for you by staying isolated and staying alone, and by just sitting, and by learning, and by not working. God created a world in bloom with 
purpose, with action, with motivation, with a garden for you to walk with him and to know him in this world. He formed us for vulnerability. Eve was not Adam. Eve, just like Adam, was created. She was created by a, you know, kind of a, a unique expression of creation. But when they were born, it says, they, it says when they were created, they were naked. And it says they were not ashamed. That means that Eve, not for one second, was worried what Adam thought about her body. Wouldn't it be neat to live in a world like that? Where the things that are on the outside, where your weaknesses, where your frailties, and where your deficiencies aren't trouble, they're not punishment for you, where difference doesn't equal suspicion. So the question is, how much of your life are you missing hiding from vulnerability? Responsible vulnerability, vulnerability with a group of people. This is what, when we have group, we have a small group that meets in our home and we love it. And the idea is what happens in that room stays in that room. And so we've walked with our group through all kinds of wonderful and beautiful and difficult things. That's what God has for us. The garden is a temple where we walk with him. And there's all kinds of creation stories in the ancient Near East where there is a temple in creation. But Genesis paints a picture of creation is the temple. Wherever you go, you have access to the person of God. Wherever you go, you have access to the order-making wisdom and power and might of God because that spirit that hovered over the waters is in you. Jesus died so that you could have that. So that means that your hopeless child is not hopeless. That means your hopeless job is not hopeless. It means your hopeless financial situation is not hopeless. Now, you may have lots of disorder to get rid of, but that's okay. We can do that. We can figure that out. God's desire for you is a garden blossoming with goodness and fullness and order in his presence with him. Because it's not good for mankind to be alone. So Jesus, I pray that as we walk through this life, we'll sense your presence, we'll sense your goodness, we'll see you with us. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us a vision for your creation. Maybe we've never thought about our jobs as places where we can find you, where we can help those blossom and bloom into gardens. So, Father, I pray for each person as they think about their context, where they're going, I pray that they would see themselves in this. And I pray that there would be an excitement maybe that wasn't there before. Father, I pray for anybody that's in here right now that doesn't know you. They haven't heard of you. They don't know what it's like to walk. And maybe they've heard and they think that you're a God who wants to take from them, who wants to make their life difficult or or ugly or small. But I pray that as they meditate, as we meditate over this account of your creation and the love that you demonstrated in this garden, I pray that we will see your heart and we will know that you are good. You are for us. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Father God, we thank you that you created a world compatible for us and you. And I pray that we would see that and realize that and walk in that this week. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, This podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.